Hi there, I'm Haley. And I'm Sophie. And we are your Perspectives podcast hosts. The Perspectives podcast is a graduate-run program exploring various public health topics in an effort to learn from experts in the field and the community from varied backgrounds and areas of inquiry. We explore topics within and outside of standard public health discourse, but our conversations relate to subjects that impact all of us on various levels of well-being. We're glad you're here and we're excited to learn alongside you. Thank you for joining us today. Today's topic is vaccine equity. I am joined by a dear friend and colleague, Morali Singabaju. So to kick things off, thank you, Morali, so much for joining us today. Can you tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah, I can introduce myself a little bit, but my name is Morali. I use she, her pronouns. I was born and raised in Minnesota, but my parents immigrated from India about 22 years ago now. So most of my background and growing up was really an Indian household. So I'm, you know, I don't really, really consider myself American, but <laughs> um, really has impacted the way kind of how I see the world and see things in general. So I did my undergraduate here at the University of Minnesota Twin Cities. I finished my undergrad in 2020 with a BS in psychology with minors in public health and sociology. And throughout my undergrad education, I really focused on building experience in public health and understanding health inequalities and generally just looking into the field of global health, which is something that I'm really interested in. But that is my general background overall. And now for my master's, I am in the community health promotion program here at the School of Public Health. I'm also minoring in epidemiology and global health, and I partake in a lot of different commitments, to say the least. Thank you so much for that introduction, Morali. So in addition to your master's of public health education, what public health efforts are you involved in? Yeah, so I've kind of been involved in a lot, but I can just highlight a few that really mean a lot to me. Really at the start of the pandemic, I started working for the Minnesota Department of Health. I no longer work there anymore, but it was a really enlightening experience to see how politics really impact the way health structures and governance really work. And so I particularly worked for the vaccine data unit, so immunization information systems unit, and our unit puts together the dashboards and data that the public sees when they're looking for COVID-19 information, whether that's on cases or vaccines. And we also did a lot of vaccine planning work and just looking into all these different aspects of the COVID-19 response. Uh, So it was just a very enriching experience, but also very overwhelming and very draining experience as well to be part of a pandemic response, especially with governance structures that are really stubborn to change, but a really good experience to see how politics influences health. And I'll definitely carry that experience with me in the future. Otherwise, I've also been a part of a community health field station in Kenya that's on Mafangano Island, which is part of Lake Victoria, if anyone's familiar with that region. But right now we're focusing there on doing maternal and child health research related to barriers and factors that are impacting access to care for neonatal and maternal emergencies. So that is one part of our work at the field station. And the other part of our work at the field station is also helping run the COVID-19 response for the field station. So we've been putting together educational materials and radio scripts and working with community members on the ground to really, you know, promote prevention guidelines, but also vaccination uptake with the series of vaccination events that are now taking place on the island. So really, we're focusing on community mobilization.
organization and with COVID-19 the research we're doing is trying to integrate both of them as well to really you know be able to bring the research and our work together to uh, gain more resources for funding and expanding programs on the island so that's probably been one of my like most rewarding experiences I would say for uh, this part of my public health <laughs> career I guess is the way to put it and then other than that I've been a part of a short-term vaccine confidence campaign with a organization nonprofit design studio called ido.org as part of their youth design collective and helped with providing feedback to develop resources and tools for youth and refugee immigrant migrant communities to educate their peers on the importance of receiving COVID-19 vaccinations and be able to host non-judgment conversations with their peers and then lastly probably the most important part of my journey has been the International Working Group for All System Strengthening, or also known as IWG. And really with this organization, I've done a bit of mental health work in creating a mental health film, just capturing the experiences during COVID-19, and also recommendations for improving our mental health systems. But the other part of it really largely has been vaccine equity, which you've been a part of, Sophie, so you definitely have really contributed to our team and committee. But that's kind of my overview, I guess which is a lot. <laughs> no, it's absolutely wonderful. Thank you, Morelli. It's been such a privilege to see you grow and to watch your work and to also be able to work with you in certain projects and circumstances. Mm -hmm. So today's episode is focused specifically on vaccine equity. So what is vaccine equity? That is a really good question. I still ask myself that question. I think, you know, when people hear equity, they first think of all sorts of different things. You know, you all, people always think of the difference between equality and equity. But when specifically talking about vaccine equity, I think people just first immediately see it as like the sharing of vaccines, making sure everyone has access to them. But to me, it, it's really about, you know, going beyond that. It's about respecting our healthcare workers, protecting children from child labor and child marriage and preventing exploitation of women and improving mental health, ensuring that children are able to go back to school. It's just more about the daily life functions that we are able to do but vaccine equity is really impacting those daily life functions. And so it does go beyond just giving someone a vaccine, in my opinion. Absolutely. So why does vaccine equity matter to you? So for me, vaccine equity, I think really working with the health department here locally and seeing our response and just how the state government was responding to our communities in need really made me want to focus on vaccine equity a lot, which is why when the project was proposed at IWG, I kind of was like, I really want to be a part of this and shape the movement toward what we're working on. And so to me, this pandemic has really revealed that a lack of equity is really continually putting us at danger as new variants, you know, formulate, become stronger, threatening the progress we've made. We've seen waves with Delta, we've seen waves with Omicron, and there's still more new variants to come if we don't collectively invest in equity now. And the health disparities will also only continue to worsen. And so if we want our future to be regenerative and prosperous, we're always thinking about the future, right, for the most part. But this future needs to start in the present right now with equity as a central focus. Yeah, that is such a great point. I think the pandemics revealed how connected we are as people and how we can both spread, you know, illness and disease, but we can also spread healing and change. And so the decision is really ours to make. 
Yes, that is a really beautiful way of putting it. I think people forget that you're not only the citizens or you're not only a resident of the place you live in, but really we're all impacting each other across the globe. Because when you take an airplane, you're going to a particular destination, but you don't consider what you're bringing there, what you're bringing back with you. And so I think people really forget that at the end of the day, we are part of a larger global system and a larger global community. And this pandemic has shown that the virus can reach wherever it wants to reach. So yes, the really beautifully said, Sophie. Thank you, Marley. So can you give us an overview of what vaccine inequity currently looks like during the COVID-19 pandemic? Yes, I most definitely can. The numbers are changing a slight bit since, you know, a vaccine rollout first started, but unfortunately, I can't say they've changed that much. So to date, recently, I was just looking at data from our World and Data site. And so basically, what we're looking at right now currently is that to date, 62.7% of the world population has received at least one dose of a COVID-19 vaccine. However, of those who've received at least one dose, only 123 percent of people in low-income countries have received at least one dose. So these percentages really reflect the greater income inequities that impact access to vaccines. And recently, Partners in Health published an article in which they talk about how Africa has been hit by hit the hardest by global vaccine inequity. And according to their article as of December 2021, which I can guarantee you, even though it's February 2022, it has not changed that much, 80 percent of people in Africa have not received a single dose. And I'm saying 80%. Unfortunately, this does not surprise me since our current vaccine equity structures such as COVAVAX are reliant on rich countries donating their excess vaccines to other countries or financing schemes, which are not sustainable model for improving equity and oftentimes can increase the inequities. Yeah, wow, those numbers are staggering. Can you describe a bit who is most affected by vaccine inequity? Yeah, so kind of like what I touched in my previous answer a little bit, I'll go into a little bit more detail there. But really, we're looking at people who are living in the lower income countries, so really the global south countries. And consistently, these populations, you know, have been exploited and taken advantage of over time. You know, I'm talking about going back into history, but, you know, are rarely given access to essential resources. So oftentimes, these countries, even frontline healthcare workers, do not have access to protective equipment and enough vaccination coverage. And something that I noticed with our COVID-19 response work in Kenya on Mafangano Island, especially, and in general with the research we had done for the country as a whole, was that there was always a demand for vaccines, but there wasn't enough for the priority populations even. And vaccines would not arrive on time for coordinating the next dose. So what you would have is this gap and challenge of someone's received their first dose, but now like they don't have access to get their second dose and the fall through and people are not being fully vaccinated. And this is really due to the government only being able to afford a limited supply of vaccines in a time where funding is becoming just less and less available. And already, you know, healthcare workers are going on strike and we're seeing things that typically happen in a less frequency increase in frequency. And so just a lot of lack of resources, a lot of systems that are not able to come together because there's not enough resources available. Wow, thank you for sharing about that. It's hard to even conceptualize at times but I really appreciate your answer. So what do your current vaccine equity projects look like? So our vaccine equity committee at IWG, which you've been a part of since last year, uh, has been, you know, we've been working on a youth-led movement to strongly advocate for world leaders, policymakers, industry actors, and health organizations to urgently act and provide equitable distribution and access to COVID-19 vaccines. 
Last fall, we published a youth-led demand in which we emphasized the impacts of the pandemic on youth and vulnerable populations and proposed new strategies for increasing equity that are focused both on the short term, but also the long term. This year, we are really focused on amplifying this work by working with influential global health leaders and increasing momentum across the world by encouraging everyone, regardless of who they are, to be a part of this people's movement towards vaccine equity. Thank you, Morali. That is so beautifully stated. In developing the vaccine equity work that you've done, was there anything particularly striking that you think listeners of this podcast should know? Absolutely. (laughs) A lot of interesting things, not just like one little thing. But I think I'll highlight two main things that really struck out to me personally. And obviously, you're part of the research process. So I'm sure you have your own thoughts on this. And definitely, we can discuss this further. But oftentimes, you know, when we think about the impacts of the pandemic, we're obviously, we're really focused on the immediate outcomes of like death, illness, hospitalization, and of course, you know, the big one where everyone's debating it constantly, the economy. However, what people don't really see are the secondary consequences, which was something that we largely focused on to really highlight the importance of vaccine equity. We discovered in our research that lack of access to vaccines means that school closures and economies will continue to struggle, especially in lower income countries. This puts children and young girls at risk. We are seeing increased rates of child labor and child marriage, as well as sexual exploitation. And this is very concerning, given that the progress within the past decade is being erased by the pandemic in just a short amount of time. And this will continue if we don't have vaccine equity. And then another aspect of our research that we found really astounding was the economics behind vaccine equity. The ability for certain countries to produce and sell vaccines really creates a power hold on who has the access to really take care of their health, essentially. And, you know, this complexity is driven by the pharmaceutical industries that have a profit mindset and global organizations such as the World Trade Organization that makes it really difficult for global South countries to gain rights to equal access to resources. And so this dynamic between, you know, looking at the populations that are being really impacted and also who's holding the power to determine whether these populations have access to these vaccines makes this a really challenging, complex problem to address, essentially. Absolutely. Something like a pandemic really reveals the divisions that exist in our world and the divisions that exist also in our economy. So what are your thoughts about public health leadership during the pandemic? Yeah, I think, you know, the pandemic revealed where our systems are not the strongest. And I think every country does healthcare really differently. But I think the strongest healthcare systems always have a good structured system where, you know, there's a good engagement of community, but there's also a good engagement of leadership from the top and from the top and the bottom meet together in the middle to make this work out. And, you know, especially where healthcare systems where universal healthcare exists, or you have a good integration of medicine and public health and also intersectoral collaboration collaboration of public health with other sectors is really important. But what we're largely seeing is that, you know, we have two kinds of things, especially in the U.S. that I've noticed, is that we're seeing leaders not be willing to stand up against political leaders and industry in regards to advocating for the pandemic and resources that their people need. Here in the U.S., we are largely influenced by the political context of this pandemic. But also at the same time, we're seeing, you know, leaders step up to meet the challenges of this virus that is consistently changing so rapidly. But they're also trying to navigate the needs of the public and our most vulnerable populations. But it's just really 
disheartening to see the lack of respect, especially in the U.S., and appreciation towards the public health workforce, which also makes it really difficult for health leaders to make progress in mitigating the negative impacts of this pandemic. So it really comes down to the structures, but also the resources that public health leaders have and how we are functioning in the larger system of things that are working as a pandemic response. So what needs to change? That is also a very good question. <laughs> a lot of things need to change. Just kidding. I mean, there are tangible changes that can definitely be made immediately. But in the past like year and a half of pandemic work that I've been involved in, I've noticed that public health leaders are sometimes also hesitant in changing or reimagining current health systems and leadership. And oftentimes leaders are reorganizing structures and operations rather than deeply assessing how our healthcare systems that are not working can be recreated to be more efficient and effective. And in doing so, public health should also be collaborating and engaging with other leaders who have influence in developing policies, health research, and pharmaceutical development, which is where really all of pandemic response is coming towards. And this is also to ensure that there is intersectoral collaboration to provide the necessary resources to everyone, such as vaccines, equitably to everyone across the world. But really what we're looking at is, you know, if we're going to transform leadership structures, we need to also look how can we work to prevent the next pandemic versus let's just only create crisis response modes. And I think Right now, we're stuck in this cycle of let's just keep responding to the crisis versus how can we also prepare to make sure that we're ready for the next variant, but also ready for the next pandemic and make sure that we can even prevent a next pandemic because the way our world is headed is that a next pandemic isn't inevitable. Like, I hate to say that, but it's true, you know? And so I think we not only in the public health sector, but also just across the healthcare world and in general, people in power really need to come together and have these talks of how can we really work together to make sure that we are not only providing resources, but we're preventing what is to come next and making sure that our people and economies are safeguarded. Thank you, Mirali. That definitely is rooted deeply in public health, the emphasis on prevention and thinking forward to make the future better. So what role does general inequity contribute to vaccine inequity? Yes. So I don't really see vaccine equity as an isolated or standalone issue. That's because I'm the kind of person where I like to really look at the larger broad picture and see how it really trickles down into the little things that we're seeing today. But one of the biggest things I think in my public health, like especially master's journey has been as a graduate student has been to really learn about the impacts of our history. And by history, I'm talking about colonialism and capitalism, both not only history, but I guess also economy in that sense. Capitalism feeds into colonialism. The structures that we currently have of inequity are really going back to the time of, you know, seeing those really complex power structures rising was during colonialism. And a lot of the countries that we're seeing impacted today were countries that were former colonies of global North countries or rich countries that we have in the world today. And so we're seeing it continually repeated in history whenever we have a crisis or an issue is that these countries in the global South are just greatly more impacted because they've been consistently deprived of their own resources Most people see colonialism as a thing of the past. I don't. In my opinion, there is still modern colonialism. I encourage people to really look into 
COVID-19 vaccine patents because this will just show you the complexity of these long-lasting power structures where rich countries are dictating which countries can produce vaccines, which countries can distribute vaccines. It's like India largely was providing vaccines to not their citizens, but to everyone else in the world. And now they're slowly catching up on their vaccination rates, but they were really hit hard last April with the Delta wave. And they totally could have avoided that if they had also their own rights to produce these vaccines. And so that's one thing I encourage people to really look at. And if you're really interested more so in how colonialism and capitalism really feeds into these power structures, I encourage people to read this book called Inflamed, Deep Medicine and Anatomy of Injustice. This book does a really good job of highlighting the current health problems we face today and how they relate to these structures and really contextualizing like what can we do to really address these problems. Thank you so much, Mirali. That is such a good and comprehensive answer. Something I've been thinking about a lot just in my own public health journey too is how vaccine hesitancy or pro-vax versus anti-vax is framed in such an individual framework. Whereas sometimes we neglect to look deeper to see even in situations where vaccines are accessible and there is the choice and option to get vaccinated, where do those hesitations come from? Why is there the distrust and the fear of government leadership or public health leadership? And how is that rooted in historical inequities and current inequities that exist? Yeah, that's a really deep question. And I think that's something that I've really noticed working at the health department too, is most people just kind of make assumptions of what communities need. They're like, oh, they're hesitant because of their religious beliefs. They're hesitant because of X, Y, and Z. And what we're really seeing is, you know, especially among like Black and Native communities or even immigrant communities is that people are scared and hesitant because they've been experimented on. Their ancestors were killed. Their ancestors were tortured to death by the governments. And so how can you trust an entity that's promoting something such as a vaccine when you know the people related to you or you've heard stories of people that you know being experimented on or tortured with medical products? The challenge is that it's not only related to health racism, but also in generally, like, especially with Native communities, they've been here for generations and generations. But over time, people don't even know that they exist as a community, right? And so it's really hard to even bring resources to those communities oftentimes, or for those communities to feel like they've heard to even give the chance of any kind of leadership coming in. And I think the biggest thing is what we need to learn in terms of leadership is learning how to work with communities and really being aware of how are we impacting these communities and empowering these communities to lead their own. And the biggest thing is, especially working with tribal communities during this COVID-19 vaccine response, I've learned that the communities know what they want. They they know what they want. They know the decisions they're capable of making, but they want to hear it from their community leaders. They want to hear it from people they trust within their community. And so even if it's hard for them to trust the government, us as public health, we can bridge this gap of showing that we are willing to show up for you, uh, provide the resources that you need for your community. We will let the community leaders handle what's coming next in terms of just providing the community leaders with the resources they need to help their community out. And I think it's really finding that balance of how do we intervene and how do we provide that support. But in order to do so, you have to understand the history of that community. 
And so it just goes, it goes deeper than just religious beliefs. It goes deeper than being an anti-vaxxer. You can't just make those assumptions as to why people are making the decisions that they do. And I think one of the beauty of working with the vaccine confidence campaign is that we really were trying to create these resources and tools to have those non-judgmental comments because people have fears for many reasons. And this really comes down to the psychology, but it's rooted in history. It's rooted in experience. It's rooted in pain. It's rooted in trauma. So if you're trying to really get someone to invest in their health, sometimes you have to tackle those underlying factors first, but you have to do that with an open mind and an open heart. Thank you for that answer, Morelli. Bringing equity into our local circumstances and global circumstances. Essentially, yes. So how can students and others get involved in vaccine equity work? That's a good question. I'm the kind of person where I'm talking about things. I like acting upon things. And it's just really hard. I feel like there's really direct ways to make an impact. There's indirect ways to make an impact. But as students, especially students going into health, we are going to be the future health leaders of the world, whether we like it or not, or want it or not. That's just the way we're headed. And especially in public health, as emerging leaders and professionals, we're really positioned in a unique way to really hold our fellow peers accountable, but also the current powers and leadership accountable. We oftentimes see ourselves as, oh, we're just students or, oh, you know, we're just really young. We don't really have much power. And true, like we cannot, you know, hold the same power as like, you know, the WHO uh, director does or secretary general does or anything like that, for example, but we can still make an impact. And I think that's something that we need to focus on is like, no matter how small it is, it's working towards something. And I know it's really hard to see it that way these days, especially when things continue to just go in cycles and cycles. But the thing is really, uh, you know, finding your voice and joining the movement towards promoting vaccine equity in your spaces, whether that's looking into what IWG has done and supporting our work, such as being a signatory in our position paper, our youth-led demand, I should say, and continue to keep on track with what we're promoting. But it's, it's important for everyone, whether you're in the health field or not, to understand the impacts of vaccine equity and advocate to ensure leaders, national or local, are invested in ensuring that the most vulnerable and underserved populations are able to have access to the same resources. This could mean like contacting your representatives to discuss the importance of vaccine equity and how they can help move efforts forward. Because Last year, especially, there was a lot of pressure on the U.S. government to really donate vaccines when other countries such as Nepal and India and other countries going through big waves were really demanding the help. Putting collective pressure can really make a difference. And I think people really underestimate that power. But also supporting any like global and local vaccine equity advocacy is also also impactful. But especially being in public health, the more voices coming together to push forward a movement, the more likely we are to see progress. That's a great answer. Something else I can think about too is because the current inequities that we're seeing, they're so rooted in history, even just informing yourself about history, both locally and globally, can make an impact and can make a difference, even in how you might see a situation. No, I completely agree with that. I think definitely there's a lot to learn out there, especially being in the field of public health and being a diverse field is you might only be working with one population, but really, especially in the U.S. where we reside in a very diverse, you know, melting pot of a communities and populations is to really be aware of, you know, which communities are being impacted, how can I get involved, which organizations can I support, you know, it's challenging to be in public health and be in a field where we're not really respected and under-resourced, 
but there are ways for us to still come together. And I think what people forget is that there is a lot of power when people come together. And it's really hard to do things when there's just fragmented efforts. And that's kind of like the goal of our IWG, like vaccine equity movement, is that we want to bring people together, regardless of where they are, who they are, because the more people we have voicing their concerns and uplifting the concerns of people are unable to use their voices, the more likely we are able to push forward. Whatever change we're able to bring is still going to be better than just sitting silent, in my opinion. Yeah, collective action towards good is such a refreshing thing to see in this difficult time when we've seen so much division. Yeah, that's something that really inspires me about you, Morelli. So I really appreciate just everything that you've said today and all that you've contributed. And yeah, is there anything else that you have to add? Um, I just want to say thank you for this opportunity, Sophie, and I've really appreciated having you on the vaccine equity team and all the work and insight you've brought in, especially from a health economics perspective. And I just want to encourage everyone on their public health journey to just keep their head up and always have hope because there's a beauty in public health. We really are here to serve the public. And I think as hard as and challenging as it can be, there's a lot of hope when we see communities coming together and, you know, trying to uplift their own communities and being a part of any kind of movement and work that you are and hopefully finding a joy in making an impact no matter how small it is. But yeah, thank you so much for this opportunity. And I'll always be there to answer any questions about vaccine equity, I guess. But I hope to see, you know, more and more people joining this movement and really promoting kind of a global sense of community. If you would like to learn more about this topic, we've attached resources for you in the description of this episode. Thank you again for joining us today. We hope we'll see you next time.